We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. Mile high hello, everybody in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I am your host, Lance Sanderson. Joining me, as per usual, is my good friend and colleague. He is Mile High Huddle's senior NFL draft analyst, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, preseason, we got our next game, the final game of the preseason starting tomorrow against the Los Angeles Rams. Just got done with joint practices. Uh, Unfortunate injury news. We'll get to that here in just a few minutes. But football, man, we're back in the thick of it. We're back in the thick of it. A couple weeks now, we're going to have some actual live one and like first team versus first team real football on our TV screens. How you doing, man? Doing good. I'm excited for the regular season to get here already. I mean, it was nice getting Mm -hmm. preseason, but I'm already past the preseason football, you know, of where, you know, all the overreactions that we get constantly week in, week out when it's guys going out there that most of them aren't going to be on teams this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at it on average, there are, there's what, 21 players after the practice squad and the 53 man rosters that aren't, that don't make anything with any team on average. So it's just, yeah. yeah why are we overreacting to these guys? So I'm kind of done with that. I'm ready to get into the actual football, you know, the first stringers going against first stringers where it actually matters where, you know, the wins and losses actually matters instead of just, you know, going to hyperboles off of what fourth and fifth string guys are going to be selling groceries this year are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. You got insurance salesmen, you know, cell phone kiosk uh, attendants, like, kind of like Tatum Bell a long time ago with the Broncos. Uh, people that I'm not going to say don't belong on an NFL field, because if you've gotten this far in your career, you at least belong around everywhere. But maybe you don't deserve to be playing for the most part. And that's not a shot at anybody. These guys are out there living their dreams. And I never want to see anybody, you know, miss out on that by any stretch of the imagination. But it's time for real football. You know, it's always fun to do the evaluation process, going through uh, the draft process, going through the, uh, the you know, offseason training camp and everything, learning a little bit more about football. But when it gets to the actual big boys, that's where things really get fun. And today, guys, got a great show for you. We're going to run down through the remaining roster battles of this Broncos roster, continuing on with this evaluation. Evaluation, getting our final evaluations going here on the tail end of the roster. You know, uh, you know, guys, one through forty are probably already figured out here. We've got forty through fifty-three that we're going to try to break down, finalize these roster battles and everything. But before we get into that, guys, got to say hello to everybody here in the chat. We've got our good friend Albert Knoppers in the house. What's going on, Ernie Mays as well, uh, Seth William Catalano, Kevin Gray, uh, Dylan Von Arks in the chat, running ones and twos and everything. You know, just kind of moderating everything, Scott. Kennedy is behind the scenes with us as well, helping produce the show. So we appreciate Scott for joining us here. Uh, David Yunkin, got a a handful of people still kind of trickling in here as well. Thank you all again for joining us here on a wonderful Friday evening as we continue to break down this Denver Broncos football team. Now, Eric, let's just jump right directly into this thing. Uh, The quarterback position. We're going to go in roster order, guys, the the way that the roster is listed. You know, quarterback through uh, offensive line, inter-defensive line through the secondary and break everything down here. The quarterback battle. There was an interesting conversation as camp opened up between Jarrett Stidham and Ben DiNucci, but you and I were talking a little bit earlier, dude. That competition was over about halfway through the second half uh, last week against the San Francisco 49ers because as Stidham was shaky, Ben DiNucci was terrible. Eric, what do you think? 
Well, I mean, I thought at first you were going to say that when camp opened up, there was that conversation going on about if Jarrett Stidham can unseat Russell Wilson as a starter. Because that was that was a talking point from a few people. I was never, you know, one of those guys for me. It was always, it's Russell Wilson's job barring injury. But yeah, I mean, the backup quarterback job, that's... It, it, there was a right to question if Ben DiNucci can step up after the Arizona game, but it kind of fell flat. Uh, the 49ers game, while Jarrett, Jarrett Stidham wasn't outstanding, he was decent enough, and Ben DiNucci was essentially a disaster out there on the field. And from what I've gathered and everything, practice has been kind of following a similar sort of what we saw against the 49ers. Stidham has at least looked a little bit better than DiNucci, so no battle there. Um, it's pretty much set in order. The only question is, do they keep three quarterbacks? And I think with the emergency quarterback rule that they will. That's That was the next question I was actually going to ask you was, did Ben DiNucci do enough for you to – I don't want to say cement, but at least put his name in pencil on this roster because like the new, like you said, the new quarterback rules where you're able to keep three, uh, one of them you can keep as a, you don't have to necessarily designate him as a game day inactive. You can still have him dress and everything in case of emergency or do the Broncos go out to the, the trade market, maybe take a look around the NFL at, at cut down times. Um, obviously today we got the big news about a little over an hour ago, right about an hour ago, with the uh, San Francisco 49ers trading Trey Lance to the Dallas Cowboys in exchange for a 2024 fourth round draft pick, which if it was me and the, I had the draft capital in Denver to do that, I would have absolutely pulled the trigger on that move. But regardless, that's in the past. We don't really have the opportunity to break that down. My question to you is, is Danucci still an, at least enough to be able to stick around on this roster or are they going to look in a different direction? Well, I mean, if you can find somebody that's familiar with what Sean Payton does on offense, then yeah, you can look that way. But one thing that we see year after year when it comes to the quarterback position is teams like to stick with who they had at the position during camp on their roster and even on the practice squad. I mean, mm -hmm. it's always a worry of, oh, well, this player clear waivers. Turns out they do because they don't want to pull that guy up onto the roster if they get claimed off waivers or they just want to be kept in Denver where or in their where they were because that's what the offense they've already gotten familiar with. So there's always that possibility, but I think that barring somebody, you know, that is familiar with Sean Payton's scheme, it's probably going to be Ben DiNucci. But we do have a $20 donation coming in from David Cromlow saying, one, up, does Dave? Denver's bad performance in the joint practice convince you that they could be a sneaky contender for a top two draft pick? And then David is asking if I'm hearing anything about the Bears as a potential trade designation for Chris Jones. To answer your second question, no, I haven't really dug into anything about that. Um, as for your first one, I have a hard time seeing the Broncos end up with a top three pick this year, even if they are actively trying, basically. Like, <laughs> that, that's a bit of a hyperbole there. I think they can do enough on the run with the running game on offense and enough on defense to at least squeak out five or six wins. Mm -hmm. And that is barring Russell Wilson, you know, returning to form and not looking like as good enough as he did during the preseason. That's taking that element out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that may be a top 10 pick, but I think we're looking more likely, you know, somewhere in the teens um, for the Broncos to land. What about you, Lance? I'm, I'm right there with you on that one. And, and Dave, thank you for jumping in with us and thank you for your donation. We definitely appreciate that, man. But uh, th this top two draft pick, top three draft pick, that's, to me, that's not it. This defense is good enough to help you win a handful of games. It was good enough last year to win a handful of games. Yeah. While it's it's a, it's a new scheme, they're doing a lot of – I don't want to say different things. There's a lot of very similar things. Uh, but the biggest thing is they're going to create a lot more pressure, which is going to give a lot more turnover opportunities. And you've got guys out there, Justin Simmons, Pat Sertan, Damari Mathis, who got his hands on a lot of footballs at Pittsburgh. Um, even – we're going to get to this conversation here in just a little bit. But, you know, uh, Asang Bassi was out there creating turnovers in preseason season games had a couple of interceptions uh uh in, in the first two games like they're they're going to create turnovers they're going to create a lot and, of really advantageous opportunities for this defense they're going to win five or six games alone based on just what the defense is able of doing especially if russell wilson returns even halfway to his form of 2020 like there's this is going to be a decent football team and if russell wilson can carry it a little bit on the offensive side of the football they they, they have very good possibility to win nine ten games this year absolutely we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Yeah, and I, I think that's more of their ceiling. I think I, I put them at about nine games mm-hmm. um, th- this year for to win. Um, too. And it's like one thing is with the whole preseason in general, and I know that David's question was about the practices, one thing that people – often look as i mean they see the two losses and that's what they do what they jump to but when when it was the players that are going to be out there during the regular season you know first and second first and second unit guys denver scored 16 points to three so like i, I mean six to three against the 49ers 10 to nothing against the cardinals mm-hmm. like i know you can't really just go off that but we saw enough in those moments from those first unit guys that can make you comfortable going forward. Yeah. Um, just a big, anyways, going on to the running. Well, I just want to piggyback off of that too, because it would have, it would have been 16 to nothing against the, uh, the Cardinals in the first half. They missed two field goals in the first half. They, like the, the first team offense got them into scoring position three out of four drives. They punted on the second drive, but they got into field goal position, missed the first field goal, punted, got into field goal position again, that one missed as well, and then they scored a touchdown. They were up 16 to nothing if you actually have quality kicking competition going on um, on those first three drives. So 16 plus 6, 22 to 3 is what the first team offense is up going into the second half of the, uh, of the San Francisco 49ers game. So don't sleep on, on this team. I think that when they really start to scheme things up and Russell Wilson gets a little bit more comfortable, it's going to be a, a, a little bit different of a conversation. Yeah. Now moving on to running back fullback, obviously this is one of the big battles entering camp. Who's going to be running back three and what was the status of Javante Williams? Well, Javante Williams, miraculous recovery. He's going to be ready to go by the season start. Something that neither you or I, you know, were expecting to see. Um, Samaj P Ryan, he's sitting there right behind him and the number three spot. Unfortunately, injuries did have their part to play in it, but it's Jaleel McLaughlin's McLaughlin's job to lose at this point. It was Tyler Beatty. Tyler Beatty was very clearly the number three running back before he got hurt. He was the guy that when Javante Williams wasn't practicing, he was the Tyler Beatty was the number two guy behind Samaj Pirine. And it was very clear as well against the Cardinals. Tyler Beatty got in there with the second unit, and it wasn't until near the end of the game before McLaughlin and Jones got out there. So very clearly, and then Tyler Beatty got hurt. And then as for the fullback, it's Michael Burton's job. I mean, just what he does on special teams. And you saw the value that he can bring on offense against the 49ers with a couple of the short yardage runs that he had. Uh, to mm-hmm. me, there's nothing really to shake it up. I think it's pretty much settled here. It would take, you know, injuries, obviously. And I don't want to like talk about injuries changing things up a whole lot. But injuries always can shake things up. For me, the question is, do they keep, do they try to find a way to keep a fourth running back just in case? I personally don't think so because of roster math. I do have a 53-man pr- prediction up. It's my final one um, where I only keep uh, the four guys that I mentioned on it. Um, and then the question is, who's going to be the practice squad running back? For me, it's pretty easy. It's going to be Tyler Beatty. Just because Tony Jones Jr. has been disappointing in the mm-hmm. preseason. He's had that one big run, but outside of that, it hasn't been you know great. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you on that one. I, I want to kind of piggyback just a little bit off of what you were talking about there, because uh, uh, earlier this morning, actually, I, I believe it was right around noon, um, I, I published an article of the, the four guys with the most to lose going into this training camp game or this preseason game against the Los Angeles Rams tomorrow. And I have Tyler Beatty as that guy, you know, because like Eric said, you know, he, he comes in and um, and Phil jumping in here with some stars, want to just say hello. He's just not trying to jump ahead. But in case I miss the conversation, do you think Palczewski makes the 53? We're going to get to that here in just a minute, Phil. So uh, just stick around and, and hang tight. We appreciate you for that. Uh, Michael Ronquillo as well jumping in here. Good evening, Lance and Eric on Dove Valley Deep Towers. Go Broncos and Buckham. But back to Beatty. I mean, it, you, you said that you don't necessarily want to um, – bring in injuries into the conversation. But I think that that was a big thing with Tyler Beatty. He showed that he was able to, um, you know, make some plays, at least in that first, the first preseason game against the Arizona Cardinals. But then Jaleel McLaughlin came out and he showed day in and day out in camp that he belonged on this roster and he did it in games. He had a really good game against the 49ers as well, but Tyler Beatty went down with that ankle injury and he's been missing out on opportunities to showcase his skill set. So, I'm not saying that it was like the biggest reason why that he ended up losing out on his roster spot, but that definitely goes into the conversation here. My biggest question sorry, is what does he look you, like? Go, go ahead. Just to clarify, it was just a miscommunication on my end. I wasn't meaning that it wasn't a part of what Beatty is. I didn't want to get into injuries about making changes going forward. Right, right. Of like right, somebody right, getting right. I, what I was meaning is I don't want to talk, be talking about injuries can shake things up with somebody getting hurt against the Rams. Not that it was injuries didn't play a part in getting McLaughlin onto this roster. Oh, okay. So that, that I then I then I apologize for that. But still, I think that the point stands here because yeah. with 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 Beatty, he needs to have a big game against the 49ers. He's going to get a bulk of the carries there because, like we've said, McLaughlin is running back three on this roster. He is. I think he cemented his spot. And if Beatty yeah. can go out there and he can show that he can play. Well, coming out of the backfield, if he can play well, uh, showing that vision, showing the burst, the acceleration, maybe go out there and make a tackle on special teams if he gets an opportunity to do that. That's where the roster math gets really tricky because are you, uh, you said, you know, Michael Burton is probably going to be the, the fullback on this roster. I don't disagree with that, but there's also an interesting conversation going on at tight end number four with Nate Atkins right now because he's been seeing some time coming out of the backfield as a fullback as well. Uh, caught three out of three targets against the, the 49ers for 17 yards. He's shows that ability to, to kind of stretch the, the field vertically down the seam and everything. And he plays well on special teams. So that could be where this roster math gets really tricky is, are you going to keep that fourth tight end in Nate Adkins, or are you going to keep the fourth running back in Tyler Beatty? And Eric, I haven't got a chance to take a look at your 53-man roster projection. We'll get to, to that here in just a minute. But that's the big question to me is, can Beatty show enough to keep four running backs on this roster? I mean, and that's a, that's a good question for me is, when you look at, I, ha I have the fourth tight end on my on my fifty three man roster prediction. I, it's Nate Atkins. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. But when you look at special teams roles, what that fourth running back role is on special teams is completely different from that fullback or that full tight end one. Mm -hmm. And you can make it's easier to make up for that fourth running back spot, but with a corner or a safety or a wide receiver, than it is, especially with in my prediction with a couple places I went light on. So. For me, I don't see the making the roster math unless you're cutting out, I don't know, a fourth tight end or a fifth mm -hmm. safety or a sixth corner, you know. Unless you're cutting out something like that, I don't see a spot for a fourth running back and going super heavy with the offensive weapons. Mm -hmm. Now, moving on for to wide receiver, Jerry Judy's injury is obviously – it sucks. For, hopefully, we don't see him miss a lot of time. Hamstring injuries are so tricky, though. Mm -hmm. um, I have a guy who works in the medical field in the NFL who he always jokes around. It's like, as soon as you see a hamstring injury, it's going to be six plus weeks that they're out because they're so tricky and they're so easy to re-aggravate. And that is something for the last few years we have seen consistently from the Broncos. Somebody suffers mm -hmm. a hamstring injury, they get listed as, you know, four to four to eight weeks, three to six weeks, whatever. And five, six weeks later, we're finally getting them out there on the field on the higher end of that time frame because they're just so tricky. Mm -hmm. From what I've heard and seen with about Jerry Judy is they're looking at him being back maybe week two, but most likely week three. Uh, he's even like a slim chance he's ready to go week one. They're not betting on it, though. Um, so he's still going to make the roster. He's not a guy that I think they're going to put bring over to the 53-man roster, then put on injured reserve and sideline him for an additional four weeks, unless it is more severe than what they've let on. Um 
And then outside of that, obviously, you have Cortland Sutton, Jerry, Judy, and I think Brandon Johnson, um, even though he's been dealing with the injury the last couple of weeks, I think he's done enough to kind of cement himself on the roster. Mm-hmm. But you're still looking at who's wide, re- wide receiver five, who's wide receiver six, and is wide receiver six going to be a return specialist? Is it mm-hmm. going to be somebody who can contribute on offense a little bit? That roster math, I mean, it's such a big thing when you're getting down to it, and it can make some conversations pretty tough. And the wide receiver position is probably one of, was the toughest one for me to figure out and put guys on my final prediction for. Right. And it, it's also pretty interesting. And I, I heard an, uh, kind of a conflicting report to what you were talking about with me the other day uh, with KJ Hamler. Uh, KJ Hamler is returning from peri- uh, pericarditis. He has that heart condition that they're still trying to figure out his timetable of return. I know that they want him to to stick around on this roster. They still have a role for him. But as of right now, like you said, you've got Cortland Sutton, you've got Jerry Judy, who's probably going to make this 53 man roster will be I'm, I'm still intrigued to see if they put on injured reserve with a designation to return that would make him miss the first four weeks at least of the season so that's an interesting thing to just kind of keep your eyes on there um Marvin Mims obviously the, the second round draft pick he's going to make this roster for sure you've got Brandon Johnson who stepped in as the first receiver on the field after Tim Patrick went down with that torn Achilles a couple weeks ago but then after that you've got guys like Montreal Washington you've got Kendall Hinton you've got Taylor Grimes um, a couple of Michael Bandy a guy that was formerly with Joe Lombardi with the Los Angeles Chargers a couple of years ago. Those guys have all been really pushing themselves hard. And on top of that, you've got Marquez Callaway and little Jordan Humphrey who have shown at least decently. My big question I'm going to bring to you here, Eric, is has the versatility and just the the playmaking ability of a guy like Taylor Grimes, who he hasn't shown it much in games, but everybody out of practice is saying this dude is just uncoverable. He's so hard to be sticky on in coverage. And then you got Marquez Callaway, who has experience in the Sean Payton system. He profiles as that flanker receiver. Is is that the competition we're really working on here? Like Kendall Hinton, Taylor Grimes, the versatility inside, outside, stuff like that. Or is Marquez Callaway, with his experience, a guy that they're going to be putting on the end of this roster as that, that fifth wide receiver that just can be a solidifying presence for that room? I think the edge for me goes to someone like Lil Jordan Humphrey or Marquez Callaway because of what they can do on special teams. Mm-hmm. Taylor Grimes, for all the hype that he got on got during practice, we haven't seen it in games. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because he's barely played in games. He's been yep. one of the last receivers to take the field. He's only played 16 snaps on offense over the last two games. Part of me thinks is that they're just trying to not show him off a whole lot and try to help him sneak through waivers a little bit. Because there's a lot of teams out there that need wide receiver help, especially, you know, for guys like four, five, six. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of try to help sneak him to the the waiver wire a little bit so they can bring him back on the practice squad. And I think Kendall Hinton, I mean, it's tough because there's been a lot of positives coming out about him for practice, especially joint practices. But when you watch him against the 49ers, oh, man, like it was just extremely frustrating for so many different reasons because – Holding, you know, the holding penalties penalties were terrible, but he's a guy who's supposed to be pretty reliable and trustworthy, and he wasn't even showing that. Even on plays where he wasn't being targeted but still running a route, he wasn't getting separation. He was sticking with his guy, and there were multiple routes that I that I noted where he was just kind of like half-assing it through his routes. Like, is that the kind of guy that you really you know want to bring on as your sixth or fifth receiver, especially? Mm-hmm with the injury concerns you have at the position. I mean, it's tough. And I think that somebody mentioned it in the, in the chat here, I think it was Albert Knoppers about the receiving ability of Greg Dulcich. That also is going to play a factor into what they're doing with the, with the receiver position as well. Part of me thinks that's why I think they'll only keep five receivers to start on the roster. And then maybe they'll go from there. Maybe things clear up a little bit. And then keeping that six receiver as a return specialist, somebody like Montreal Washington, because there's still things that he does that are frustrating in games, but he has cleaned up a lot of the issues that he had last year. He still has a long ways to go, but of the return guys that we've seen, particularly punt returning, he's been the best one out there. Um, and he can still, you know, throw Jaleel McLaughlin out there on kick return because he had that big kick return against the 49ers as well. Um, mm-hmm. So there's still options you can do with other people, but Montreal Washington, he just seems the most reliable punt returner to make it. If I remember correctly, I think on my prediction, I had Marquez Callaway and Washington being the final two receivers to make it. 
Right, and that makes a lot of sense, especially with Callaway's ability um, as, a, as a special teams gunner. He's a quality special teams player, and like I said, he's got that familiarity with the Sean Payton system. Speaking of guys familiar with the Sean Payton system, this has been kind of floated around, especially after Jerry Judy just went down. Uh, talking about the New Orleans Saints wide receiver depth chart right now, obviously you've got uh, their standout rookie wide receiver from a couple years ago, Chris Olave, um, Michael Thomas as well. Rashid Shahid is a, is a player that they're expecting a whole lot of coming out of um, that flanker position, maybe even as a slot. Uh, but a guy that is familiar with with uh, Sean Payton as well, Traquan Smith, who has played that flanker position, uh, the, the Z receiver. Uh, they do a really good job motioning him around. He's a great deep threat. Uh, what is the likelihood that the Broncos could be interested in a player like that that could come in and, and just offer – a little bit more um, with the, with the downfield versatility and also as a blocker, he's a fantastic blocker in the running game. Is that something that the Broncos could potentially be interested in? Last question here on the wide receivers. I mean, yeah. And I think that Traquan Smith is a guy who's going to be, um, is going to be on the move. Cause when I was sitting there digging in to the saints and everything, they have a couple of rookies that have really been standing out mm -hmm. through training yeah. camp in the preseason for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, A.T. Perry and Shaquan Davis. Yeah. Um, both of them have been look, looking really good. And Shaquan Davis, he can kind of fill in a little bit of what Traquan Smith does. So can A.T. Perry. And they also have multiple receiving tight ends as well that they can sit there and use, you know, kind of not in that role, but use to help expand their passing game a lot. So I think he's a guy that could very well be on the move. Um, and the Broncos, obviously, it would make sense as to why they were why they would be interested because with the injury to Jerry Judy, you want somebody a little bit familiar um, with the offense, somebody who can sit there and come in and have an impact. And the familiarity is so, is so important because you're only going to have a, about two weeks to get the guy caught up. So the more familiar he is, the better doesn't cost a whole lot for the Broncos. If they're to get him. he's still got a couple years left on his contract. Cause this is only, he's only entering year three. No, he's on a second contract. Um, if I remember right. Uh, they extend if they extended him. So I don't think the whole cost is a whole lot there. Um, and he's a guy that I've seen multiple Saints guys talk about as he could be a surprise cut even. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, quickly on the tight ends here because we're we're running about half an hour right now, so we got to get through tight ends in the offensive line really fast. Uh, four tight ends or five? Good I, I, question. Like, um, actually, I think the bigger question is three tight ends or four. Right. I don't think they do five with the fullback. Um, the question is, who's that fourth one going to be? Albert Okwebenam, he's kind of had a pretty strong week a little bit. Um, I wrote about, how, when I was talking about him, I said that he hasn't done great on special teams. Never taken the regular season snap on special teams. Has only taken five over the two preseason games. Um, he had a couple, he had a few last year as well. I think he's like at seven total, like counting regular season and preseason throughout his career. But he had one big block and was on that Jaleel McLaughlin big kick return. Um for me, though, I would rather take the consistency of Nate Adkins and the versatility he has. Albert Okwebenam is not much of a blocker, um, especially on offense. Uh, you're very limited in what you can do with him on offense. Nate Adkins, he's lined up everywhere. He's even lined up as a boundary receiver for the Broncos. Yes, in his yes. So it was only for a couple snaps. He has lined up everywhere for them and has done extremely well everywhere he has lined up. For me, it's yeah. pretty simple that they're going to be that Nate Adkins has the edge over Albert Okwebenam. And for me, for me, with things that I've heard, with how things seem, it seems like the selling of Albert Okwebenam has been going on, has started to try to get some team to come in and want to trade for him. Right, and we we talked about that last uh, last week and multiple times over the summer. I believe we talked about it even on draft night about how the Broncos had a team interested in trading for him. So that's that's always still a possibility. Those rumors have been swirling about uh, Albert Okwebenam for almost a year now it's it's been going on for a while here so that's that's an interesting piece of, uh, of information there just to kind of chew on put that in your back pocket and just hold on to that for a minute and maybe maybe you can say you know we heard that here on Dove Valley Deep Avers first but uh uh jumping back here to Phil's question Phil McLaughlin let's go to the offensive tackle position I've got two questions here first one we're going to answer Phil's question here uh saying uh do you think that Alex Polcheski makes the 53-man roster Eric uh so my 53-man roster prediction, and this led to actually a pretty heated, not really heated, but a, a pretty good conversation between you and I last last week after the game when I was sitting there working on it as well uh, about keeping four tight ends. I really had to work the mat, the roster math to keep four offensive or keep four offensive tackles on the roster, and part of it is I so I do think he makes it. 
I think he has very clearly been the best offensive tackle for the Broncos this preseason. He has worked his way up. He has just done everything right. He's gotten a lot of praise um, publicly. A lot of my guys that I've talked to, they've all absolutely raved about him and what he's been doing in practice. And offensive tackles, like after the Cardinals game, I did an article about if the Broncos struggle with their tackle position again against the 49ers, what can they do? So I was looking at every team around the NFL. Offensive tackle is extremely weak, No, basically no matter what team you look at. Very few of them do you look at and be like, yeah, that, that's a strong group. Um, so offensive tackles, uh, guys who show out in the preseason, if they get waived, they're probably going to go get picked up on waivers. Alex Palczewski is a guy that I don't think you can afford to cut and hope to bring back on your practice squad because I don't think he clears waivers. Mm-hmm. I think he is good enough to make to find have a team sit there and say, yeah, we'll pick you up. We'll keep four offensive tackles just to make sure you're there. And so I think the Broncos should do it and work their math around that. And we'll mm-hmm. get to how I did it here in a little bit. But he, for me, has done enough. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm with you on that. When he's played left and right side, he was the first right tackle on. Well, I guess the second right tackle on the field um, against the 49ers. Then left the field and then came back just to kind of solidify uh, solidify well, the forces down the stretch there. So and he well, plays well, dude. Like he moves well. He, he's quality in pass protection. Good run blocker as well. Like he's a, a quality he's, developmental right tackle. Absolutely. He's a lot. He's allowed one pressure over like almost sixty or seventy snaps this preseason. Yep. And yeah, he did come off the field against the 49ers, but it was a situation that, I mean, we talked about it last week about getting Quinn Bailey out there at right tackle too, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. what they did. They had Quinn Bailey at right guard, then and Alex Palczewski at um, right tackle. Then they pulled Palczewski off, put Quinn Bailey there, and he did he did decently well there. And um, I can't remember. I think well, I think Will Sherman entered the game. And then they pulled Quinn Bailey and Alex went back out there on the field as the right tackle and pretty much finished up the game there um, and did and did well. Um, So, yeah, for me, it's pretty much cemented there of with how weak the position is and the concerns that you have about the position in Denver. Garrett Bowles coming back from his leg injury and his consistency issues. Cameron Fleming struggling throughout the preseason. Mike McGlinchey missing most missing the preseason most of the camp with his injury. Keeping that fourth off, fourth tackle there, yeah, you kind of got to do it. Yeah, well, and, and Polchewski played well enough on the left side, and the, I, I believe he got ten or fifteen snaps. It wasn't a whole lot on the left side, from what I understand. Um, or am I thinking practice stuff? Because I know that he worked in practice. Might have been in practice. Well. He has, he's only played right side exclusively in games. Uh, okay, so then I must be thinking about some some practice stuff I heard about where they had him out on the left side, and he actually looked pretty decent going against some first team guys. Um, so like to me, that's that's a big thing and underrated aspect of this is, the, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, Garrett Bowles conversation moving forward. I mean. I doubt it happens this season, but the Broncos could very well easily move on from Garrett Bowles. Uh, they're going to say be his last right season now, and then on his current contract. Yep, exactly on his current contract, exactly. And uh, if they cut him right now, I believe they save eleven point eight million dollars in um, in in salary cap space. So it's not like it's not out of the the you know out of the possibility. There's a non zero percent chance. Let me put it that way: that Garrett Bowles gets cut. Um, and Paul Chesky with the with the ability to play that left side, I think that that's a, a big thing for him it being a developmental tackle. Speaking of Mike McGlinchey, though, uh, this was the other question I had for you on the offensive line specifically. Uh, Sean Payton kind of left it open ended on what starters could potentially play this week. We have not seen Mike McGlinchey at all this preseason. He had that knee sprain early. He's been practicing this week. Do you want to see Mike McGlinchey play against the Rams at least for a little bit, or is that just let's put him on bubble wrap, get him healthy for the regular season, or do you want to see him out there on on Saturday? Put him in bubble wrap. We'll see him in in the regular season. Okay, okay. I I, I disagree with you a little bit on that. I think I want to see him just get out there a little bit in some live action, one or two series, not a whole lot of run. Just let him get out there and and really crack some skulls more than you what you do in these live these uh these joint practices where you're not allowed to really go to the ground. I want to see McGlinchey get out there with some real contact. But uh, like I said, only for knee injuries. For knee injuries are so tricky. Plays. I would rather not. I'd rather not try risk making it worse. And, and that's and that's Especially a fair for a big I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that yeah oh you're, you're you're right on that i just i think that 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 might help him a little bit um get that confidence up and just show that you know i still have the physicality i still can go out there not really like the javante williams situation because i think that that's a freak deal and you're never going to see something like that again at least not for another decade because it's been at least that long since we saw a return from that kind of an injury with the, with the knee sprain with michael glinchy i think that it'd be wise to get him out there at least for a handful of reps maybe even just the first series just let him get out there 
crack some skulls and just be done with it. That's my oh, opinion. One, but it, it, one it is point it is. of order, it hasn't been a decade since we saw something like that with Javante Williams. It's been a year. What, what do you so, mean? J.K. Dobbins. Oh, well, J.K. Dobbins still hasn't come back to play. I mean, he kind of, but he hasn't been like that guy. I'm talking like the return to form. He was he back just, to start the season for the Ravens last year. Like, and he ended up being sidelined again because he re-aggravated it. And mm-hmm. yeah, the miraculous recovery ha- aspect of it hasn't been, but we've seen it of rushing an injury back right, time and time right. again. I just rather not. Um, but there was a comment here that I wanted to grab real quick. Um, let me see if I can't find it real quick. Sorry, I had it and then I updated. Uh, Keep probably coming that. in. What's the likelihood we cut below 53 to start? Uh, Scott came in and answered the question saying 0%, which is exactly right. They'll go to 53, and the only time they'll go below it is if they already have a guy, you know, just haven't signed the contract yet, but they've already agreed to it. So they cut the guy and just wait till it's official that they've signed a guy. Mm-hmm. That's the only time it. And then also is when we talk about specifically for me, when I talk about the the 53-man roster, I'm not talking about the initial roster. I'm talking about what we're kind of looking at come the first week of the season because over the first 48, 72 hours of after the initial 53-man roster, you are going to see change after change after change. Mm-hmm. Guys who cleared waivers, veterans from other teams who are cut because somebody made a waiver claim off of somebody. It's just a constant cycle every year that takes two to three days before it really gets cleaned up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the Broncos could be um, – if I, if I can th- see the Broncos being one of those teams that is very active with churning the debt bottom – of their depth chart on the 53 men roster. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of that bottom, uh, that bottom piece on the, uh, the 53 man roster, this is the, the next big battle. I highlighted it in, on my five players with the most to gain against the Los Angeles Rams piece on Thursday. So make sure you guys go and check that out, but it's Kyle Fuller and Luke Wattenberg at center guard. That might be roster spot number 53, quite honestly, because who, who between those two is going to cement themselves as center number two and backup uh, interior offensive lineman number four? Because you're going to get uh, you're, you're going to get obviously Ben Powers, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, Quinn Miners. There's your starters. You're going to keep Quinn Bailey. That's offensive guard three. We need offensive guard four backup center. Like that interior swing guy that can play the center and guard position, and Fuller and Wattenberg are deeply entrenched in the battle right now. And quite honestly, it's a lot closer than everybody thinks. Eric, what do you think is going to be the fallout of this conversation following the uh, the Rams game on Saturday? Well, I mean, if you look at Wattenberg and Fuller, I don't think that if they keep one of them, they have to keep a fourth guard because they both have had that opportunity to play guard, and exactly. for the most part, they've done well. I did like the fact that against the Cardinals, we saw Kyle Fuller at left guard and then and Wattenberg at center, and then they flipped against the 49ers. And it was a rough start for Wattenberg against the 49ers, but after the first series, he kind of stepped back up and started to hold his own at left guard. Um, Kyle Fuller, to me, was a little bit worse at center with, than Wattenberg was, but he was better at guard. So it's a very interesting battle for me um, to figure out who's going to be it. It could go either way at this point. Um, I'm very curious to see what they do, what the pecking order is come this Rams game. Because this yeah. is the final shot. Um, I could see Lloyd Cushenberry be one of the few starters who actually gets some reps because uh, there are still plenty of issues with Lloyd Cushenberry. Don't get me wrong, he is looking a little bit better. Um, he has a bad habit still of being late to get out in front of screens, if, especially against the 49ers. If you go back and watch multiple screens that when he was on the field, they got blown up because Lloyd Cushenberry failed or was late or lowered his head. Running plays, he does find he does a lot better on combo blocks than he was doing last year, which is great to see in the running game. Um, but he also has a bad habit of getting caught and not being able to get off and get to the second level and, in a timely manner. Um, so I do think he'll play, but who's going to be that second center to come out on the field? I think that'll be pretty good. Yeah, Scott comes in here with a, with a beautiful comment in the, in the private chat here. just want to read this. He says, Lloyd Christian Perry arrives in time, just enough time to help the screen receiver off of the turf. That's and absolutely correct because he is so just, late. I believe it was the uh, the, the Javante Williams screen. They, they threw a screen to Javante Williams uh, against the uh, the 49ers, and Cushionberry was so late. Uh, Javante, I, I believe that was the one that he dropped. Cushionberry was so late to get there. He actually picked the football up off of the ground, if I remember correctly. Like it was it was such a bad play from Cushionberry. 
What play was it? It was, it was so late. It was the one that he I, shoved I, the was, defender into the running back. Okay. But okay. the one, the yeah, one, because the one that the one that Javante Williams dropped, I was going to say, is Lloyd Cushenberry's best two plays on screens have been drops against the Arizona Cardinals, a drop by Samaj Pirine, and against the 49ers, it was dropped by Javante Williams. Hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, let's flip over the defensive side. Sorry, I, I you caught me in the middle of a drink, and I, I I don't know if you guys can see this on your guys' end. Just some inside baseball for everybody here uh, listening to the show after the after the fact on the uh, podcast network. And thank you all for for joining us. But we'd love to see you live. But thank you for joining us after the fact. I'm dealing with flies. I've got flies attacking me from every single angle. It's horrible. But anyways. Um, Let's flip over to the defensive side of the football. Got about 25 minutes or so left here while we can uh, kind of chop this up. Uh, interior defensive line, I think that it's really kind of played itself out the right way. I highlighted a guy um, on my piece, uh, the five with the most gain here the other day. Elijah Garcia potentially being able to sneak his way on as the interior defensive lineman number five. Him and Matt Henningsen are battling that out. Uh, I think that Tyler Lancaster, who I highlighted with the with one of the most to lose, is a big deal going on there. And PJ Muster for those. Th that's kind of the conversation I want to talk about here because we already know um, Mike Purcell passes physical the other day. He's been removed from the non-football injury list, restructured his contract. Seems like that roster spot is locked up as his as his to be with a starting nose tackle. But those three guys, I think Garcia is probably the front runner for that six that six spot. If they do keep six, maybe can even push Matt Hennings for, Henningsen for number five. Eric, what do you make of this interior defensive line conversation? Because you and I have gone back and forth. I'm not super keen on the depth of this unit. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super keen on the depth of this unit either, but Mike Purcell, getting Mike Purcell back is huge. There were some mm -hmm. concerns yes. that he wouldn't be ready by the start of the season. It was good that he passed his physical when he did. Um, I mean, it, they couldn't wait any longer. I mean, if they had to wait longer on Mike Purcell to get back, the nose tackle is probably going to be Tyler Lancaster, mm -hmm. who has been fine, but Mike Purcell is clearly better than he is. Mm -hmm. um, Jonathan Harris, when you talk about Matt Henningsen, it's worth noting that Jonathan Harris has already beat Matt Henningsen and pushed Matt Henningsen down to yes. where now there is a battle of five or six defensive linemen, and if they only keep five, who's that fifth one? Can it be Elijah Garcia, who is making the plays in the game, but is, from what I understand, not doing so hot in practice? Or is that Matt Henningsen, who he's been solid. I mean, a lot of people are going to point to that two-point conversion where he got dragged into the end zone against the Arizona Cardinals. But he's been doing well, like in the preseason, minus that play. He just hasn't had those splash plays. Mm -hmm. um, but he's looked good in practice, too. So how much of a factor is the splash plays in the game going to factor in for Garcia versus the consistency overall for Henningsen? We can see this play out against the Rams and Maybe Garcia does enough to where they work the roster math to keep six interior defensive linemen. Um, I have a hard time seeing that again with my prediction. I only keep five just because of how the roster math turned out. Um, so, and I think that getting, again, getting Mike Purcell back, it's huge for what they can do with this line because he's not the most versatile, versatile guy. He's purely a zero one technique. But DJ Jones, you can give him a little bit more freedom now. You can give Zach Allen a little bit more freedom. Jonathan Harris, you can give each everybody else a little bit more freedom with Mike Purcell out there, which I think is huge um, and helps them keep only five if that's the way they want to go. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. And having having a guy that can really solidify that nose tackle role is, is such a big thing. And I, I'm I don't want to spoil the article for everybody. Please go check it out, milehighhuddle.com. Uh, it just posted earlier today. Again, four guys with most to lose, and we talked about it. If Mike Purcell doesn't, you know, passes passes physical, restructures contract, and come back on this roster, we're talking about Tyler Lancaster being the starting nose tackle for this team, and he does absolutely have the most to lose right now because you're talking, like we said, he could have been potentially been the starter, and now we're talking about him not even being able to make the practice squad because watching the the other interior uh, defensive lineman PJ Musser who has ability as a nose tackle he's better rushing the passer than Tyler Lancaster's and he has a lot more upside which would you rather have the more solid run defender a guy that's just kind of okay doesn't play with the great the greatest technical strength doesn't play with the, the greatest technique as well or a high upside guy like a PJ Musser who can get after the quarterback move the pocket just a little bit I think that Lancaster needs to have a big showing even to just make the practice squad when we were talking about him potentially even being the starter on this roster. Big, big time thing for his for his conversation against the Rams this week. 
Who would you rather see as a potential replay potential replacement for Mike Purcell next year? Tyler Lancaster uh, or PJ Mustafer? PJ Mustafer because he has the ability to get after the quarterback. And that's exactly that, that's, what it is. That's your practice squad guy right there. And it's also worth noting that you can only keep six veterans on the practice mm-hmm. squad now. So are you going to waste one of those six spots? I mean, six, six is a good amount. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But are you going to use one of those six spots on a guy like Tyler Lancaster? Probably For not. me, it was always with Tyler Lancaster is he makes the roster or he's somewhere else. I don't think he was yeah. really a practice squad guy for multiple reasons. Um, part of it being PJ Mustafer. I mean, he's had a pretty good preseason. Still a lot of technical issues there that he needs to work on um, and got to work on his balance too a little bit. But those are things that you want to work with on the practice squad. Tyler Lancaster is a more of a he is what he is kind of guy mm-hmm. at this point in his career. So, I, again, I'd rather go with PJ Mustafer. For me, as I said, it was always the roster or somewhere else for Lancaster. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, moving back a level on the defense, we've got the uh, off-ball linebacker, stack linebackers, inside linebackers, if you will, just to appease Scott here for just a second. I'm, I'm kidding, buddy. It's 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 good. But uh, um. I don't think there's really a, a conversation here. Obviously, you got Jos- Josie Jewel, Alex Singleton, Drew Sanders. Justin Sternod is probably the fourth guy on that list. I don't think that anybody else on the roster has really made a case to to be that fourth linebacker there. So, Eric, do you have anything there, or we just kind of move back to the secondary? I mean, Justin Sternod is clearly ahead, but the the one rookie, Ajiaki, I don't, I'm, yeah. I can't remember how you say his last name. Uh, dude flies. Um, flies around on the field, flies around on special teams, gets him out of position a lot, which I think is why Justin Sonata is the favorite here. But one thing that I think we could see here, the scouring of the waiver wire, scouring of cuts, Mm -hmm. because linebackers are like running backs. There are, when you're looking at filling out the bottom of the depth chart, there are plenty of options that can be that fourth guy that will get cut. Now, will they end up being starter quality? Probably not. Like, there's a big difference there. Just as there's a few elite backs, there's few good, great elite linebackers as well. Um, so I, I could see them scouring waivers. I could see them looking into a potential trade for somebody. There, there's multiple things I could see them doing at it because Justin Sternod, he's looked solid, but he still hasn't looked, you know, like I'd be comfortable enough if something happens to Josie Jewel or Alex Singleton for him to step up or both of them actually because he's the fourth guy to see him out there on the field. Right. I, I think that he's looked a lot more comfortable moving away from the football this season, Justin Sternod, that is. Rather than having him fly sideline to sideline, him moving backwards has actually been kind of a breath of fresh air, I think, for him. And he's actually looked pretty decent. Took a while for him to – to first off, he he bulked up, it looks like, as well. He, he added a little bit of weight to, to his frame. But he looks more comfortable moving backwards, and I think that's a big sign for his development. I'm with you, though. I think that you could still move on and upgrade from him, but at least for now, without really scouring through the cuts and the free agency wire and stuff like that, it's hard to really project anybody else to, to be on this roster. Obviously, you can't predict the future, but at the same time, like and Sternod, you could you could get better than Sternod, but he has improved significantly from the last time we saw him a couple of years ago. And I got to say, you skipped a position when we got to linebackers. Well, edges. yeah, the edge, the edge, the edge. So Rodney yeah, Garcia coming in, perfect, you know, uh, segue here. Evening Lance, Eric, and Scott in Broncos country. What do you guys think of Christopher Allen so far? Does he make the roster? Uh, thank you, Rodney, for your question. And to answer the second part of it, no, I don't think Christopher Allen makes the roster. I have a hard part, hard issue with this edge room here because I don't, I don't see a reason to keep a fifth edge in this group if you're going to be getting Baron Browning back after week four or five off the pup list. Obviously, if somebody gets hurt, then obviously you can bring somebody up. But which of the other four edge rushers has done enough to earn a roster spot? Mm-hmm. No one. Aaron Patrick's the closest just because we've seen his ability on special teams during the regular season. But Thomas and Coombe has been completely missing during the regular season. He's dealt with double teams upon double teams and um, chips upon chips throughout the two games so far, but the few one-on-ones he's had, he hasn't really taken advantage of it outside of holding up against the run. Marcus Haynes had a couple of decent pass rushes against the Cardinals, barely played against the 49ers, and I guess he's been struggling quite a bit in practice as well. Christopher Allen, I mean, he was a complete disaster against the Cardinals. He had a couple good rushes against the 49ers, but was a disaster outside of that. None of those four have done anything to be that fifth edge rusher on this team. I'd rather save the spot, keep four edges, bet on Gregory Clark um, being able to stay healthy 
and keep that fourth tight end or that fourth offensive tackle or that um, just keeping somebody else that can actually contribute in a decent way on offense if needed. Now, of course, you're looking at the this the, um, far down the depth chart. Not even sure if they're going to be one of the game day actives, but if they are, again, I would rather go with the guy who at least has something to offer on offense or defense besides just some solid, decent special teams play. Peter comes in saying, asking how many extra picks get cut. Um, I think multiple can end up getting cut. Obviously, nobody of the Sean Payton era. Um, depending on what happens at center, we could be looking at Luke Wattenberg. We can be looking at guys from a lot of guys from last year being cut. Um, obviously, Nick Benito is safe. Greg Dulcich is safe. Um, Damari Mathis is safe. But, you know, um, the later guys, Wattenberg, Washington, they're on the bubble. Guys before that, there's a lot of guys up there on the bubble as well. Justin Chenaud being one of them. Um, but yeah, the edge room, I mean, if they can stay healthy, there's plenty of potential in the room. But just outside the top four, they just don't have anybody. And again, it is a position that I would rather wait and see what they get out of, um, can get out of the first, the top four guys, Gregory Clark, Cooper, and Benito while they wait for Browning then force a fifth edge on there. And you can replace that special teams role with a guy like Adkins on from the tight end position. Moving to cornerback, for me, it's pretty much um, cemented up or set up or shaped up. Patrick Satan, obviously, Damari Mathis has cemented himself as a backup corner. Um, Quan, uh, Quan Williams is obviously the backup slot corner. Um, McMillan, he's been the primary backup boundary corner. So I think that's safe even if... Um, even if uh, Riley Moss gets back and healthy. From what I gathered, McMillan was working his way above Moss even before that injury happened. Um, and then somebody comes in and is asking about if Forsyth and Skinner are safe. I thought so, but lots of MHH guys think, saying they don't think so. Um, Alex Forsyth, I just don't see how you keep him with the numbers game on the offensive line. He's clearly off of, offensive center four. He's behind Fuller. He's behind, behind Wattenberg. And he hasn't been getting shots at guard in games. And then Skinner, we'll get to that a little bit when we get to the um, safety position. So my only question at cornerback is if somebody can surpass uh, Bossy as the backup nickel, and I'm just not sure, looking at the other corner options, I'm not sure who it can be. Fayon Hicks has been decent, but not great. Tremont Smith, I mean, his contract, yeah. If you cut him at this point, you come out even, you, you just... 1.8 million salary, 1.8 million salary cap hit, 1.8 million dead. You just could break out even there, um, having to pushing a little bit to next year. But he's been absolutely terrible out there, and he hasn't been great on special teams, which is what he was brought in to help with. Um, Fabian Moreau has been decent, but probably more of a practice squad guy. I don't think any of them can unseat Bassey because I think the luck that he has had has just been good enough to help him. And I guess he's been looking a lot better in practice than in games, and just with the versatility that you have with some of the guys at the boundary corner, you can do that. As for safety, Simmons, Stearns, Jackson, and Locke, they're all set. Do they keep a fifth guy? Is, and if that if they do keep a fifth guy, is it DeLaren Turner-Yell or is it J.L. Skinner? J.L. Skinner, to me, when I have been watching him over the preseason, he can hit, but he still has issues identifying his run fields. He has issues identifying his positioning and coverage. It has been a lot of issues that is very clearly that seeing his uncomfortableness in coverage, seeing his um, adapting to the NFL game and not being so much of a box safety, kind of like he was at Boise State for most of his career. DeLaron Turner-Yell, he's looked a lot better on special teams than he did a year ago. And he was a good special teams player for the Broncos last year as well, despite the unit being so terrible. And then on defense, he's looked good. Has it been great? No. he, uh, he He's just, he's been good enough though as the fifth guy you're looking at special teams here as the biggest thing for it and i think that dylan turner yell is ahead of jl skinner um for it. and then the final one is what's going to happen at kicker it's punters obviously safe what's going to happen at long snapper um there's been rumblings that they can still you know look out there uh, be looking for a log snapper and then for kicker they have apparently been in contact with a couple free agent kickers still and they have been eyeing a potential kicker uh, from the New Orleans Saints, 
who they are determining if they want to cut the the veteran Will Luntz or go with the younger guy that they have. Um, and Denver has been linked with a possible trade for the kicker there. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Am, am I back and all good to go? I apologize for the technical difficulties, guys. My uh, microphone cable all of a sudden just quit registering on my computer. So I do apologize for that. Um, you, you ran through a lot of it. I was able to get to hear a bunch of what you just said. I want to piggyback a little bit off of the the kicker conversation. Obviously, Will Lutz is a guy with the experience with Sean Payton. Um, struggled last year. Only, complete, uh, only uh, made 74% of his kicks last year, which is one of the worst of his career. Um, and unfortunately – you know, that's worse than what the Broncos had in Brandon McManus last season. So that's an interesting conversation. There's another one that I want to have here quickly, though, because I believe it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just moved on from Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, was one of the better kickers in college football for the Georgia Bulldogs for a handful of seasons. In fact, one of the greatest kickers in college football history. So would you be interested in the Broncos bringing him in at least for a kicker tryout? You mean Chad? I, I didn't want to say no. it. I, I, did, I didn't want to say it. But <laughs> I'll Chad, say it. Rodrigo looks like, like looks like Chad. <laughs> he looks like Chad. He looks Especially like with Chad. the helmet on. That's awesome. Yes. But <laughs> yes, he does. No, I, I wouldn't. I think as good as he was in college, it hasn't translated into it. There is a reason why he is bouncing around the NFL. I mean, he was there in Indianapolis for a couple years, and then I think since then he's been with five different teams mm-hmm. or something like that. There, there's a reason why he's bouncing around. Um there's been issues of making it in practice and everything. So just, just not a guy that I would look at bringing in. Yeah. I, that, and that's a fair assessment of the situation. I, it was partially because he looks like Chad and just honestly a, a recognizable name. Um, I don't, I don't think that they're going to go out and get a guy. Mason Crosby's pretty well washed up. Robbie gold is decent. He can still kick it, but he hasn't made anything over 55 yards in like five years. So there's a, a conversation to be had there as well, but yes, this is a, so <laughs> Scott pulled it up. Scott pulled up the picture. If you guys are watching this live, you got to check this out. This is Rodrigo Blankenship. He was uh, drafted, I believe, by the Indianapolis Colts. This is him in a Colts uniform. Uh, he looks a lot like our own Papa Bear, Chad Jensen. So got to give a shout out to Chad as well. And uh, he's a good sport about it. We joke about it with him all the time. Look at this beautiful SOB right here. Man, <laughs> I, I can just hear him. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast or <laughs> however Chad does his intro anymore. They can almost hear him through the TV screen. So uh, shout out to Chad. It, we miss you here on DVDD, man. It'd be nice to uh, have you join us for one of uh, one of these shows and just chop it up and, and enjoy some football. I want to go back to uh, the edge conversation, if I may, just for a few minutes. And uh, a, a big question that I have is – Baron Browning, obviously you talked about him just a little bit with him coming back. Uh, if they do, if they do keep Aaron Patrick for that special teams versatility, which you were talking about, um, and then they do need a, a person to move on from, obviously Patrick's going to be that guy, but what have you heard about Baron Browning and what he looks like, what he could potentially like the role that he could have for this defense, because he was really growing there. He was a, a he's become a big fan favorite for his versatility. And from what we saw with him a couple of years ago, before the knee injury, before the shoulder injury, and then he had or arthroscopic knee surgery he was growing into a player that could be a dynamic edge defender what do you think his role is going to be when he comes back to this roster he'll be an edge no okay and uh, just just to be clear with that he's on the pup list um they'll probably when it comes down to the roster cuts they'll probably just put him on the pup keep him on the pup list which means he has to miss at least the first four weeks of the regular season before they mm-hmm. can think about activating him and then they have a period where he doesn't count on against the roster until they actually fully yep, activate two weeks him. But that's just kind of what the process will be with uh, Baron Browning. Um, but yeah, it's a guy that his versatility is great, but it seems like they really want to settle him down working as an, as an edge. I mean, they can still drop him into coverage as an edge, something that we're going to probably see a little bit more often from Vince, from Vance Joseph than we saw from Evero. We've already seen quite a bit of it from uh, this defense during the preseason. And I'll probably carry over a little bit along with more, you know, trying to disguise things a little bit. And I think Baron Browning can do well with that. My question is, is when Baron Browning is, is where is he at in the pecking order with what, how much growth we have seen from Jonathan Cooper and Nick Benito. Right. That was, that was more of the question I was trying to get to you was what, what's the pecking order there? Because quite honestly, I, I think there's a conversation to have right now on who's going to be the, the starter opposite of Randy Gregory on this roster. Whether it's going to be Frank Clark or whether it's going to be, I I think that Jonathan Cooper has a, has a shot here. I really do. He has surprised me 
and his ability to get after the quarterback. He's surprised me with growing against the run. He's put, he's pairing moves together more and more every time he's out there on the field. And what we saw, and I don't know, I want to take, I want to take Sean Payton's word for what it was. They had a target number of snaps. They wanted to get everybody out there, but Jonathan Cooper started that game against the the San Francisco 49ers last week. Frank Clark played (laughs) into the fourth quarter. Well into the fourth quarter. That's Gregory signed. Yeah, exactly. Benito and, and Brown and Cooper were the first two. Well, I guess Gregory started Benito played the majority of the first half though. Gregory and, and uh, Frank Clark played the majority of the second half and Frank Clark didn't see the field. I believe until the second quarter, I think that's a sign. I, I really do. I, and like, like I said, let's take Sean Payton for what it was. I, he had a snap number that he wanted to get everybody to. And Frank Clark had to play the last, the last quarter of the game just to get to that snap number. I think Jonathan Cooper has a really good shot at winning the starting the starting edge defender position uh, opposite of Randy Gregory this year. I really, really do. Frank Clark got out there on the second drive. Um, okay. And then even in the fourth quarter, when they were still putting Gregory and Clark out there, Benito and Cooper were still seeing snaps as well. Okay. Like They were just rotating him a little bit. Biggest thing with Frank Clark is they're just trying to get his legs loose after missing so much time with injury. I doubt he'll play a whole lot tomorrow. Okay. With the way his contract is, if he's not the starter, we'll probably see start hearing about some issues there because it's going to hurt his ability to get some of those bonuses for extra money. And it could reflect badly on the Broncos in the back end of things a little bit and with agents and stuff like that. Um, now, I think that Edge, for me, with this group, isn't super big on who's a starter and who isn't. There's going to be a big rotation here. You're going to see a lot of guys getting in that, you know, that 50, 60% mark for to- mm-hmm. for total snaps consistently for it. Just not a lot of guys seeing that 80, 80 plus snap percentage um, right. out of this because they're going to be just rotating them so much. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I just, I remember it, that was a big issue, I guess, was something that I wanted to bring up with, with Frank Clark was the fact that he was playing late into that game. And they kind of asked him in the locker room. He's like, you know, what, what did you feel about playing uh, late into this preseason game in the fourth quarter? And he's like, I don't really have a feeling. Ask the coaches about it was kind of the way that it was put to me. So that I, I'm, I may be looking into that a little bit more than, than you should, but at the same time, you've got to, 10-year-plus veteran in the NFL that played a lot of snaps in the fourth quarter of a preseason game um, that has been a, a tried, tested, and proven player at the NFL level for a long time. So with that, though, guys, I think we pretty much covered it. I'm not going to jump into the safety cornerback conversation. We are running out of time here uh, just at our hour mark. Eric did a really good job of breaking all of that down behind the scenes. I'm still having some issues with my microphone, so we're going to have to cut, cut it short here on a wonderful Friday. Thank you all for joining us here on a great episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. You guys can follow us on Twitter by finding me at Lance S underscore MHH and for Eric at Eric Trickle. Notice the CK and Eric and the EL and trickle also guys while you're at it big shout out to our guy scott kennedy behind the scenes running the ones and twos helping produce the show get to him at scout kennedy also for um for dylan i believe his is uh, arcs von d uh, on twitter as well so shout out to dylan von arcs behind the scenes as well um also guys while you're at it please make sure you guys are following at mile high huddle that's the mother account where you guys find breaking news and analysis uh opinion articles, film breakdowns, anything regarding the Denver Broncos, you're going to find it there at Mile High Huddle and also at milehighhuddle.com. Uh, MHHmerch.com, guys, that's the merch booth where you guys can find yourself a hat, a t-shirt, face mask, coffee cup, anything to support the website, anything to support the podcast. We definitely appreciate all of that. And if you guys aren't financially able to do so, the three things at the bottom of your screen, which we always love to shout out to everybody, because it's the easiest way you guys can support the show with 100% certainty subscribe wherever you guys are watching this listening to it after the fact whether it's on youtube facebook twitter twitch apple podcast spotify anywhere you guys get your podcast content please subscribe to mile high huddle like every video you guys see across every social media platform including all the articles as well and if you love it please share it guys get in front of as many of broncos fans as humanly possible all your friends and family because without your guys' support we couldn't do what we do best which is cover the denver broncos now eric um one last thing before we get out of here, starters. How many starters do you think should play? Do you want to see anybody specifically out there? I know you mentioned Lloyd Cushenberry. Maybe on the defensive side of the football, anything else you want to see from starters against this Rams team? And with that, I'll let you take it away for your last words. Yeah, very few. I think very few starters should be playing. Um, 
I mean, and it's a big conversation that's going on right now after they cut down to three. It's because that third game was always the, you know, the dress rehearsal for the regular season. Yeah. And they'd set week four and we're seeing teams that they're still trying to figure out what they want to do with it. Um, some teams, they still treat it as a dress rehearsal. Other teams use it like it was the normal fourth game. Um, unsure which way I think it I, I lean towards using it kind of like as the normal, as the old fourth game, uh, playing very few starters, just guys who still could use a little bit extra reps. Um, I start, you know, the four four offensive linemen, the four starters there, except for McGlinchey, of course. And really outside of that, maybe Mathis, uh, maybe Stearns, but not a whole lot. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think I'd like to see a little bit more out of Jonathan Harris, um, just to kind of solidify yeah, that start. Yeah, that like see see some more out of him as that starting interior defensive lineman, that third guy out there, um, and see if he can really stave off Matt Henningsen for this last little bit. Um, it, we're not going to see Purcell with him being cleared. That's another player I'd like to see a little bit, but probably not going to happen. I think McGlinchey should play a little bit, not much. Uh, we already talked about that a little bit. I really want to see Brandon Johnson, though, the wide receiver. Uh, him coming off of that ankle injury, I think that that's a big one. Um, projected to be wide receiver three at least, uh, more than likely wide receiver two now with Jerry Judy going down. So I want to see what he looks like coming off that ankle injury and kind of translating what he was able to do in practices into a game experience. Let him get it, you know, the first quarter maybe the first quarter and a half or so couple series out there throwing the ball a couple times and see what he looks like. But outside of that, I'm really looking forward to seeing Tyler Beatty, uh, Tyler Lancaster, see if he can hold on to that last spot. And then Albert Okwebenam. I think that this is a big shot for him to maybe not only crack that final roster, but at least if nothing else, really kind of drum up some trade interest from teams across the rest of the NFL with that though guys you all stay safe and take care have a great weekend as always go broncos we will see you guys same time same place next week by the way programming note i'm going to be uh linking up with thomas with thomas hall tomorrow night on um orange and blue view so make sure you guys check that out tomorrow night six o'clock before the game so anyways guys we'll see you guys same time same place next week you are listening to dove valley deep divers with eric trickle and lance sanderson I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.